something I found something this week. It's interesting. We talked last uh, about this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, the prayer proceeding all prayers is may it be the real I who speaks and the real thou I speak to. Infinitely various are the levels from which we pray. Same us, same him, but we pray from different levels based on where we are. Every idea of him we form, he must in mercy shatter and replace with truth. Not, the, not uh, a nuanced idea that we had or what we grew up with or something, but we, we gain a greater appreciation of who he really is, not who we thought he was. Okay? And then from that, I've always understood that if we're not careful, we will worship gods of our own making. Okay? Well, in uh, my study this week, I came across a quote from a uh, Jewish prayer book. Uh, I, I have lots of sources, so uh-huh. sometimes these things just land on my lap. And I thought this was, I thought this was incredible. Here, and he's going to take this idea one step farther. And this is, this is actually really, really good stuff. The gods we worship write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. Soak that one in for a second. The gods we worship write themselves on our faces. Our countenance. Have you engraven his image? We will worship something. Have no doubt of that. Do the atheists worship something? Sure. We, we worship. So it, it's in our nature to worship. The human nature wants to worship. Seeks to worship. And even if it's not going to be religious in nature. It will be something. And they're drawn to that. We just naturally as human beings with a pre-mortal spirit in there that grew worshiping, we'll just want to worship. Uh, I remember the, the, the story of the guy in, in California and his parents said, we're not going to have him worship anything. And so there was, they worked very carefully on that. And when he turned about 20, he, he went off and joined Al-Qaeda. You know, it's like I'm going to go from, we're not worshiping anything to, I'm drawn to worship and something, and they just found that he found that structure better than the no structure he grew up with. Okay, so I always worry a little bit about well, we're not going to have our kids baptized, or we're not going to, you know, because we want them to choose for themselves. They will choose something. I promise they'll choose something, but you may not really like what they choose. Okay, there's the that further down. That's really loud, isn't it? I thought I turned it down too. Okay. Normally it's up here. Now it's down there. Okay. So here's here's the next phrase to that then. That which dominates our imagination and our thoughts will determine our life and character. And then he's going to complete that with, therefore it behooves us to be careful what we are worshiping. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Well, I thought that was pretty dang profound. If we're going to go back to the... Oh, I think you got it. You turned it all the way up. Have they turned it up? You turned it all the way up. I thought I was turning it down. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so the gods we worship write their names on our faces, be sure of that, and ultimately it leads to what we are worshiping we're becoming. So, so obviously we, we take that... The ultimate step is 
just to be aware of what we're worshiping, what our kids are worshiping. Uh, I almost picture about half half the teenage boys in our uh, in our church will begin to look like Minecraft. <laughs> and they're just all going to be boxes and squares and things like that. So, all right. So, any comments on that? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, good luck finding it. It's the uh, Congreg- Congregational Prayer Book 2008 of the uh, Indiana Temple something. Had a, f- a friend of mine that went to a service there, and he and he managed to get a copy of what the cantor uh, and what the rabbi were talking about that day. So this may be the the best place to be able to get it is is right here. So, yeah. Well, I was just thinking, we may go to church on Sunday, we may provide service in our callings, and and yet what we consume our thoughts with sure. probably has much more power and control over us than... I'm thinking specifically, for instance, about those that kind of worship pop culture, and so they're they're following every reality show and every fashion and every and and, and that when we worship we become in other words so if if that's what pop, pop culture is saying and doing and worshiping and thinking I become it I wear it I look like it I act like it I think like they do and if we're here comes general conference and if what we're worshiping is the gospel and the prophets and leaders are the the example of that then we're more likely to ultimately begin to look like us. The Savior, it will be in our countenance. Yeah. That's what people told me when I joined the church. And even people that weren't church members said, oh, you look so different. Something's changed. My whole, you know, Isn't that cool? Yeah, I've, I've told the story before in here that uh, when I was, uh, I was working in a hospital setting and I had, uh, and I had just been uh, called as a, as a bishop that weekend and then I went, on, went in on Monday morning, the next morning after that, and one of my first clients came in and she goes, what happened to you over the weekend? And I said, what? She says, your aura is like, it's just filling the whole room. And I said, do I really look that different? She says, i got to know what happened. This is really weird. You're not the same guy. I said, well, yeah. There, there was some things that happened over the weekend. Okay? All right. So, here's the other thing. We're actually kind of finishing, uh, we're kind of wrapping up some things from last week moving forward. We talked a lot about being barren last week. And and in that setting, you had this idea of being a barren um, wife to a husband. And the, and the Savior is the husband. And here's the barren wife. And there's lack of fruitfulness. And then the shame of her youth not being able to produce. And how ultimately all of these great barren women, at least for a period of time or a season, the Rachels and Elizabeths and, and uh, Sarah's and all of those were a type of what happens. And Israel became the ultimate barrenness. Okay? Now, I wanna, here's the, here's the uh, second part of that, if you will. Uh, I want you to turn to Isaiah 56. Because we're going to get a second half to this. Um, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people, neither shall the eunuch say... Okay, stop for a second. What's a eunuch? Oh, yeah, it's a eunuch, yeah. 
A eunuch is somebody that either by birth or a lot of uh, is is unable to procreate. This is a, is a man that's unable to bear seed because he's been either castrated or, or something like that, either born with it. And and why would why would there be eunuchs even running around a lot back then? They didn't trust the men to be servants and that they might get into trouble over here. So a king would be most likely, if he's going to have somebody come in, it wasn't unusual for them to castrate so they'd have a eunuch that they could trust. Okay? That's actually not too far off in a, in a different sort of way that uh, the old stories of Howard Hughes back in the day that he would actually hire a lot of Mormon men. Why? Because he would trust that they wouldn't be running around at night and he could trust them. Okay? That they would be faithful. Well, eunuch in this sense, so this is going to be somebody who can't produce, and now you're going to get kind of the male version of the female barrenness. Here's somebody who can't can't produce. There's no fruit here. Okay? So uh, even I will now here's the promise. Oh, here it is. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths. Now, let, let, let me stop here. I think there is, uh, in a lot of settings, and even in LDS settings, there is a sense that uh, currently we may have some modern eunuchs among us. And that would be those some, with, with same-sex attraction. And certainly there are those with same-sex attraction that are able... Um, because of the level of it to be able to marry and struggle with those those urges but still be able to marry and, and have kids and have families and it's a struggle and, and I know because I, I, it's my opportunity to sometimes work with these people okay but also there are those for whom the same sex attraction is so strong and so powerful that it doesn't work for them to marry and they shouldn't be marrying because those urges and uh, things are so powerful and in a sense and I've sat across the, the desk from these guys as well that said here is my options either I leave the church so that I can go live a gay lifestyle or I'm going to adhere to the church policies and I know I'm going to be uh, celibate and single the rest of my life well wow there's a now in, in the, there's a lot of cases kind of symbolically where the Lord is talking about eunuchs and that they're going to and the blessings that will come to those that stay faithful. I think we have modern faces on those that are going to be faithful because those that are going to be that are going to struggle with gay urges and stuff and then in their decision to say, I love the Lord, I'm going to stay with the gospel, and this becomes my physical ailment, my my. Uh, thorn in the flesh that I that I was I was born with I'm going to struggle with it will be with me all of my life and are there promises and there blood is it worth it is it worth it to, to make the choices that I'm going to make hard choice hard decisions okay and and by the way this does go to the heart and I I keep having this discussion in my in my high priest group a lot of times you know these Oh, rock solid old guys in there going, well, nobody's born that way, dang it. I keep saying, 
Go back to the church statement on it. Some are. Sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a choice or circumstances. Some are born that way. And that's going to be their struggle in the flesh. And the church statement reflects and recognizes that. Well, that's, a, that's a major shift from when I was in graduate school in, in uh, the 1980s. Um, and the movement that we've made in that direction. Okay. So Where is the, that statement? I haven't seen it. it. It's on the church website. It, it's where the, the the statements that they're making, like on uh, Joseph Smith and polygamy. Which, by the way, did you see that they're going to roll the, the discussion about Joseph Smith and polygamy into the seminary and institute program, so kids are going to start being taught? Yeah, rather than get surprised ten years later, and you know, it's like finally they're finding a place to say. These are hard discussions, but we need to have them with our youth so they don't get blindsided by somebody else. So where, where would you go on the church website? Under the newsroom? Under the what? Newsroom. Yeah, the, the, the special statements. That they've, and they've done one on the Book of Abraham and, and same-sex and polygamy and, and priesthood and the women. Yes. Okay. Isn't that great? Yeah. And it's under essays. Okay, I've read them as they've come up, but I've never gone out to the website to pull them up because I read them and I was excited. Each one I really appreciated, and and they're and they're looking very unvarnished at some of this stuff, and 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 there's the one on blacks and the priesthood as well. So, all right. So eunuchs. So we get this sense, and there may be modern faces on these discussions. Well, look at what the Lord is saying to them in Isaiah. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths. And we're going to talk a lot more about Sabbaths and fasting in just a minute. Who keep my Sabbath and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Okay. Now, what blessings are promised to people like this? Even unto them, he says, I will give in mine house and within mine walls a place and a name. And it, I was really shocked to find out that that word place is actually a mistranslation. And the word place means hand. This is in verse 5. I will give them a place in mine house, meaning... Where's mine house? The temple. I will give place in mine house, in the temple, and within my walls... A hand and a name. Oh my goodness. Got it? Better than of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. There's the promises. There's the covenants that are going to be made to those that are going to make incredible sacrifices. Similar to um, children who died before the age of eight. Yes. It's there. It is. Now, by the way, there are other eunuchs in our midst. And that is those that could be, in a sense of barrenness, who would love to be more productive in some areas, but for whatever reason can't be. Can I give you some examples? How about uh, very young mothers who are buried in diapers and kids and maybe have, have an ability to teach or sing or work or they're very smart but there is a season in their life that they're, that they're kind of a eunuch. They're so 
involved in those things that they're not able to do the other things that would that the world would say fruitful. How about somebody who is uh, has to take care of a chronically ill uh, parent or spouse or kid, and every day they're going to get up and they've got to change out, you know, a, a, a severe handicap thing, and because of that they can't serve. They're so bound up in taking care of this. Uh, chronically ill person that they that they can't do the things that they would like to be able to do. In a sense, isn't that a union? Like to be able to serve and can't. What about the single sisters? Oh my, yeah, yeah. I, and that really is that's that this sense that says there if they could they would, but circumstances have not provided for that. Okay. Uh, we were just. Uh, it's, when when we were out in uh, when Cindy and I were out in uh, in uh, Huntington Beach, California, speaking to a large singles conference, and and in the middle of all of this thousand people, you know, most of them looking like Adonis gods, you know, because they spend all their day on the beach. Uh, one gal came up and talked to us, sweet sweet gal, and she's from northeastern Oklahoma. And there's not another eligible guy in five hundred mile radius to her, <laughs> you know. And she was in California trying to say, "I just like to be around more LDS guys because there's none where I am." Uh, and we recently talked to her, and now she's in. She got a great job in South Texas, and she's back to the same situation. Uh, not a really eligible guy for you know hundreds of miles around. And she was at the San Antonio conference. Well, I, I think sometimes there are those situations that it's like. We want to be fruitful, but we can't. Well, listen to what the Lord is saying. If you will um, keep my Sabbaths, choose the things that please me, take hold of my covenant, I will give them in my temple and within my walls a hand and a name, and that's better than the sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Okay? Uh, Look at seven. Even then will I bring into my holy mountain. He's going to repeat it in the, in the Hebrew parallelism. We're going to say it, and then we're going to say it again differently so you really, it gets cemented into your brain. Even then I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful. Isn't that cool? I will make them joyful in my house of prayer their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. What sacrifices? Yeah. I keep saying, for instance, to single sisters, if you really want to get married, you can get married. I can run you down to a local bar. We'll find some guy that will marry you that that wants to be taken care of. Or, or I had a, another sweet sister come to me and she said, I, I've determined that I'm not going to marry a guy who can't hold a temple recommend. Should I, it's like, should I lower my standards or should I do something? And I said, you go, girl. <laughs> but you have to recognize there is a very tangible sacrifice that may be being made here. And he's saying if that's... Now, if somebody... This is on a case-by-case basis. I think there have been those women that have prayerfully... And, and received inspiration to go ahead and marry a non-member. Okay? And I'm not going to say they've done the wrong thing because they very prayerfully and carefully did that. 
But there, are, but for that, there have also been a number who have married non-members just because they didn't want to be single anymore, and then they they kind of then their kids always struggled in having two religions and and always spent the rest of their life going to the temple alone. And I mean, it's a, such an individual kind of thing. But what he's saying, but the promise here is this: they, I will make them joyful in my in my temple. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes that sacrifice for them is to stay in a marriage that's going to with much more turmoil. And sometimes that sacrifice for them has been, I prayerfully have decided, and I need to be out of this marriage, and I need to recognize all that will go with that. That's why we're not in a place to judge anybody. Because everybody's made very difficult, painful decisions and choices but he says, if you're staying in true to me and my Sabbaths and my covenants, I will make your life joyful. Well, that's quite a promise. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifice shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for who? All people. With all circumstances and all places. I, I love the fact that when we're in the temple, we're all dressed the same. Can you imagine? Go with me for a second. Can you imagine if it, instead of providing and having temple clothes for us to purchase, can you imagine if the church said, here's some general guidelines, make your own? <laughs> What would happen in our church, society, and culture if anybody were able to make your own? What would happen? Elaborate. Oh, what? Elaborate. Oh, my goodness. You might have Western cut, yeah. <laughs> you might be leather, but it'd be white leather. You know, because it, it, it's like a, it's like it's like sacrament meeting on Easter Sunday. You know, we want to look good. You know, and and we want and really, if we're not careful, we don't want to just look good. We want to look gooder. We we want to be gooder and goodest. You know, C.S. Lewis says pride is not the process of wanting to have something. Pride is the process of wanting to have more of it than somebody else. And it has to be more better. That's right. Okay, so I'm really glad that we're not able to just kind of go out and buy or create or be able to go into Zion's temple store and you can actually, you know, drop five grand on having the gooder dress. Yeah. But under certain guidelines, right? Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Think, think wedding dress. Are we there? What if your temple dress could be like your temple, your wedding dress? And now we're going to go for, you know, pearls and puff and, you know. Yeah, and the train. and yeah, Think wedding dresses for everybody in the temple. And some are going to be very simple and some would be incredibly elaborate. And then we're back to the problem. 
Then it becomes Oramites, right? It's more about the dress than the ceremony. Yeah, then it becomes more about the dress. And we'd have to have bigger chairs. And, and we'd have to have bigger chairs. <laughs> and more air conditioning. Uh, more air conditioning. There you go. Okay. So, this is going to be my house of prayer for all people. Uh, now. So, does that make sense? The Lord is still saying there are those that are going to be barren. And always the message at the back of this is always, and Israel is going to be barren or be like a eunuch for some period of time before I bring you back from your scatteredness and I bring you into the fold. Okay. Now, there, here the, the last couple of chapters, in, or last couple of verses, I sat and laughed all, all the way through Gospel Doctrine yesterday. I wasn't paying attention. I was reading this. And, and, it, and I'm enough of a visual person that it just cracks me up when you start seeing... If you can actually put a visual on this. Okay, so. Verse 10. Oh, 9. All the... Hold on, let's do this. Verse 9. All of the beasts of the field come to devour all the beasts of the forest. Okay, so picture like a house in the forest. And what kind of beast could come out of a forest to attack the house? And the people that live therein. Wolves, bears, Wolves, bears lions. lions and tigers and bears. You know, oh my. Okay. <laughs> I want you to picture these animals creeping towards a house. Okay. And, and, there, and there are people in there. And do you have, and if you're going to live in the woods, are you going to have like a guard dog or something to let you know if these animals are coming? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Okay. In this case, here's Israel. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. <laughs> so I want you to picture, picture that same house. And here come lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. And they're coming in. And on and on the porch is a big old hound dog. Big old hound dog. that's just laying there on the porch. And he's opening one eye, and here come the, the bears and the wolves out of the thing, and he's just looking at them. Okay? They're all dumb dogs. They can't bark. Oh. Yeah, there's somebody coming. Oh. Or if you ever had a guard dog that if somebody broke into your house in the middle of the night, they'd lick him to death? Especially if you got like a lab. Hi, it's a stranger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we used to have a dog that when a stranger would show it, it would just piddle all over the floor. I'm so excited to see you. It's, it's kind of like that. So here's my guard dog. Hello. Can I show you what they got? They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Okay. Are you getting the visuals on this? Isaiah must have had a, like an old hound dog. <laughs> Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. They are shepherds which cannot understand. And then, then it gets better. Come ye, they say, I will fetch wine. They are drunk dogs. <laughs> They're just passed out sloppy drunk. On the porch, I will fetch wine. 
And we will fill ourselves with strong drink. What about tomorrow? More. More. <laughs> and tomorrow shall be as this day and more abundant. Okay. As great as this drunk was, we'll drink more tomorrow. Okay. Now, if you get that visual, now picture the leaders of Israel at this moment. Now you got them. Drunk, dumb dogs who can't bark who won't warn and are sloppy and just don't care and they're lying down to slumber. So which period is he talking about? This is currently going on. Now with Isaiah, remember, he's with Hezekiah and Hezekiah was a little bit on top of that. But Hezekiah will be replaced by Josiah or or, two down from but But they're going to have all of these Moments, but there are some specific times when this really, really applies. One of them is the time of Lehi, 600 BC, where they have they've let their guard so much that who was the animals that came out of the forest to attack the house, and the, and the dogs were sleeping. Babylonians. Babylonians. Yep. Yep. And also there's the Egyptians. Remember, Jerusalem falls because. Zedekiah is supposed to be paying homage to the Babylonians and when the Babylonians are away he tries to suck up to the Egyptians the Babylonians come uh, and wipe and and put Jerusalem under um, control we're going to talk more about this under with Jeremiah but then we'll go off and defeat the Egyptians and then come back to Jerusalem and level it including the temple and kill Zedekiah's kids in front of his eyes Except for Mulek. Yeah. So is this the same time period where he's talking about Israel being barren? Yeah, it is. Okay. That, it, that it's come and gone and come and gone, but the most extreme version will be at that moment. And also uh, 66 uh, AD, when the Romans will end up living it, is also the same time. Because the Sanhedrin was kind of sloppy drunk and not paying attention to the animals in the forest. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord God, which gathers the outcasts of Israel, and this is a, this is a uh, it's a uh, foreshadowing that He's going to gather Israel in, okay, um, and say, "I will gather others to Him." There'll be others besides just the Jews that will be gathered in. Have, have you been baptized? Yeah. You're one of those. You, you have also, Israel has gathered in closely. He's going to gather all of those in. Okay? Well, but that's also coming on the heels of when he's talking about, uh, he's talking about strangers. Yes. the Gentiles. Strangers and eunuchs, and right? the eunuchs, those, those particular uh, people would be considered outcasts. Yes. Right, for all people. Yeah. Yeah. I would really like to convert all the Egyptians and the Babylonians as well. I'll, I'll take them, because remember back back in these in these days, part of their understanding was if you weren't 
Jewish and you weren't circumcised, you were never going to receive any of the covenants and blessings. And part of what the Lord said, and the battle, remember the New Testament, between do you need to be circumcised or not? Or, and, and, and he said, no, gather in everybody. There's no exclusion here. Okay? All right. So does, does that make sense? You just get this sense, and he says, I will gather everybody in, but there's all going to be... But part of the problem is always going to be that your watchmen over Israel... Uh, are blind, blind to the, 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 the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians. You won't trust me as your God. But also blind to what? What's the other layer to this? What are the, what is the, what are the watchmen also blind to? Who are the animals that could destroy Israel? Sin. Sin. Wickedness. Those, it's Satan who's coming through the forest. That is going to bind up these people. Now we're really going to talk about that, about how that what that binding looks like. Watchmen are supposed to see afar off. They're supposed to warn, and it's not just physical danger, but it's also spiritual danger. That's why we're going to hear from the watchman on the tower uh, this next weekend. Okay. Yeah. Is to him Israel? I, 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 the Lord. Yeah. Sometimes when, if you, if you were actually to pull some of this out, you'd start to. If you were going to fill in all of that, it would be, I, Elohim, will gather others to Him, Jehovah. Because it'll flip back and forth, like in the suffering servant, I will afflict him. Well, I, Elohim, will afflict him, Jehovah, my son. Okay. All right. Oh, is it really totally Remember how I told you we were done with Isaiah? <laughs> I so lied. Yeah. Okay. My question is verse 10. Yeah. His watchman. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Good point. So, who would be the his in this? His watchman. It's still Israel. His would still be Jehovah. But his watchman watching over his... That's why he's going to say, uh, they are shepherds which cannot understand, in verse 11. Uh, These are still my people, even for all your wickedness. They're still my watchmen, but they're asleep, they're drunk, they're greedy. The kings and The kings and the leaders, yeah. Yeah. Okay? All right. So, yeah, what I, what I imagine will happen here since we only got... See, part of my problem has been is like, okay, let's just do the last couple of chapters of Isaiah and then we'll move on to Jeremiah and stuff like that. And then I hit something like Isaiah 58 and I go, oh, no, no. No, we can't just walk past this. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how far we get. <laughs> it's too good. All right. Now this is this is pretty terrific stuff. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Yeah, we're now moving to fifty-eight, but I want to break it down, um, and I'm going to put it up on here because I need you to see 
This is another one of those places where you're going to see an image painted in, in Hebraic poetry. And, and if you can see, the, if you can see the, the nuances and the picture being painted, suddenly this stuff jumps out at you. And I promise that in two weeks from now, it, when we come to Fast Sunday, you will not see Fast Sunday the same if you understand Isaiah 58. Um, it's just so cool. Unless, did you guys have it yesterday? Oh, okay. The plain old steak, we wait two weeks. You have another one? Oh, you did? Really? Isn't that interesting? So, Sister Wileen, is this okay? Wards are having their own fast Sundays whenever they want to. Okay. State President's wife says it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Then, then, then don't tell Mike. Just kind of keep that. Thing. Okay. Cry aloud, he says, Isaiah 58. And I want you to see this in the context, too, of the barrenness and the eunuchs that we've just been talking about. So kind of see this as an ongoing narrative. Okay. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins, especially the watchmen that are asleep, the hound dogs on the porch. Okay? They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And then here's the key phrase. As a nation that did righteousness. Just like a nation that did righteousness. That ought to be your key that says this verse and a couple of these verses to come are very sarcastic. They act like somebody who is righteous. But they're really not. So hear it in a sarcastic voice and now suddenly this one will make sense. They act like they seek me daily. They act like they delight to know my way. Just like a nation that did righteousness. And forsook not the ordinance of their God. They keep the law of Moses. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. Substitute fairness for justice. They're, doing, they're going to do these things because they're in search of fairness. Things should be fair. They take delight, supposedly, in approaching God. And then this, and then again, keeping that sarcastic tone of voice. Wherefore we have fasted, say they, and thou seest not. Wherefore we have afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge. Okay, put that in different terms. What are they saying? You haven't noticed, and? Well, we, we fasted for something, and we did not get the answer we wanted. You get it? We fasted, we afflicted our soul, and the thing we were fasting for didn't happen. We fasted with a purpose, and it didn't occur. And especially for a lot, if they weren't just saying, okay, well, I need, you know, this son to come back or something. They fasted. What would they be looking for? If I'm afflicting my soul and I'm doing the whole sackcloth and ashes and wailing on the street corner and, 
and and I'm walking by, and you're looking at me and going, "Wow, is he pious? Look at I am just so amazed at how righteous he is." Listen to how loud he's wailing and how afflicted his soul in. And he's got like, he must have five pounds of ashes on him. Man, he's just super righteous. What are we looking for? Attention. Praise. This is the ordinance of justice. We're looking for fair sympathy. Approval. Approval. Prosperity. Because I am so afflicted, I should be blessed in so many other ways. Okay? If you're going to teach seminary every morning, shouldn't there, there, shouldn't there be attendant blessings? Yes. <laughs> if you're going to get up early and sacrifice your sleep, you know, the Lord better be coming up with, we better get a raise out of this thing. Or, you know, maybe, maybe instead of 10% tithing, maybe 8%. We ought to get a discount here. Because dang it, we're tired all the time. You know, or, or our kids are saying, we're getting up at 5.30 in the morning. We should get extra help on our tests in school because we're tired. We're afflicting our soul. We are sacrificing like you can't believe. But can oh, Yeah, hold on. Yes. Yeah, look look at me and part of what we're looking for is all of that adoration that says I am awesome. Okay? Yeah. I always feel like when I make a sacrifice, I'm always blessed so much that I can never stay ahead of the game because the savior's oh, sacrifice is so much greater no than question. He made for me than I can make for him. And, and we understand how critical sacrifice is. But we're, what kind of sacrifice are we talking about here? That, that they were using as a, as a fast? A prideful. A prideful sacrifice. Yeah. So that's why he's saying, that's why this, you have to read this sarcastically. Because it says, they look like they're doing all the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. And there is a belief too, by the way, that if I'm afflicting my soul, dang it, there better be payoff here. Now, so let's talk about real fast. Um, so let's take about two steps back and just remind ourselves a little bit about uh, Hebrew language. Remember that for whatever strange reason... Uh, when they're putting uh, Aramaic and all these together. We're going to write in consonants. Whatever little vowels. We generally won't show the vowels. If we do show the vowels, there'll be the, the little dots above there. The, those are the vowels. It's about the consonants and the vowels just kind of... And so because of that, when they're looking at Dead Sea Scrolls and they're looking at ancient... Hebrew writings, they're just looking at consonants. Three consonants in a row or four. And you have to begin to look at the whole thing in context to understand exactly what this one is. Because three set, uh, three, well, let me give you an example. So if it's consonants and not vowels, something like shalom, which is what this is, you're really looking at uh, the, the primary vowels or SLM. Yeah, consonants. Thank you. Primary. Okay. 
Now the idea in Hebrew though is that if you're going to have if you're going to come across another word and it has the same three consonants but you're changing out some of the vowels, okay, it could be a different word, but those two words are probably related. They go back to the same root. So they spring out of the same three consonants. Does that does that make sense? So you can look at them and say they're kind of related. Let me give you a really good example of this one. So shalom would be SLM, but so would be when we talk about Melchizedek, he was the king of Salem. Same three consonants. SLM. You go, oh, maybe there is some correlation to Shalom and Salem or Shalem. Okay. Get that? So, so you look for those connections. And when I go back and I look at the Hebrew uh, derivatives of these things, they'll always, I can always go back to the root and you watch all these things that just kind of spring out of a single root. Okay? Okay, well, for the second example, what does SLM stand for? Salem. And the L? S-L-M. Yeah, but what is L? I'm doing the English version. Salem. Not Melchizedek, Salem. S-L-M and Salem. So in other words, Salem, no, no, Salem and Shalom are the same. Okay, Salem and Shalom are the same. So you could be saying, so when we talk about that he was the king of Salem, we're also saying that Melchizedek was the king of peace. Okay, and you see we're, and, and, and that's, that's why... That's why the king, to call Melchizedek the king of Salem is one thing, but to say Melchizedek is the king of peace makes him more like the Savior, savior, which is why you get an idea we call it the Melchizedek priesthood. Because it becomes then the priesthood of Salem, the priesthood of peace, the the priesthood of Shalom. Does that make sense? Okay, now, yeah. So does that make Jerusalem the city? Yeah, it does. It's meant to be because that's where Salem was. That's where Melchizedek was. And that's why Abraham was paying his tithing to Melchizedek, the king of peace. Okay? Yeah. So you're not wanting to make Melchizedek the king of peace. You're a little confused? The, the word Salem, the word Salem and the word Shalom are the same. I would take you might want to take Melchizedek out of it because we're not trying to compare Melchizedek. Okay? We're just saying that the root, those three consonants, SLM, there's a lot of things that spring out of there. And one is Salem and one is Shalom. Okay, now, I want to do the English version because now this will unlock 58 for you. So what if we did the same thing with English and we said we're going to talk about the wedding (coughs) feast. And think about all of the feasts that Israel had the uh, Passover Seder, the Passover feast, the, there was a feast at Yom Kippur, all of these great feasts. And ultimately we're looking for the great and ultimate wedding feast, which is at Adam and Diamond, where the Savior comes, and you will eat with me there, and it's a celebration. Does that make sense? FST. Now, what would happen if we then said we're going to take the law of the 
fast. FST. Yeah. Now let me ask. And this is going to sound like an English composition question, essay question. In what way are feasting and fasting the same? They're the opposite. You would think that they're the opposite. Feasting on the spirit when you fast. Feasting on the spirit as opposed to food. So is fasting feasting? And is feasting fasting? <laughs> if you are if you are feasting, what are you fasting from? They're both celebrations. They are celebrations. But if I'm going to fast, what am I feasting on? Spirit. If I'm going to be feasting on the Lord's stuff, what am I fasting from? The world. Sin. That's why you're going to find that feasting and fasting are synonymous here. They are the same. You go, well, no, fasting is just being hungry and irritable until 5 o'clock. <laughs> it seems like it. Yeah, that's why I used to always call, you know, in a, in a month we have three fast Sundays and one slow Sunday. <laughs> And then well, the fast Sunday was the slowest Sunday, you know? Okay. So if you get that, so now we're going to talk about the chosen, and I'm, I'm just going to call it the feast fast. We're going to have a chosen feast fast. Let's go to, that's Isaiah 6. Okay. I'm, I'm actually going to break this down, 58.6, because I, I really want you to see this. So. Sometimes uh, Cindy does an awfully good job of when she's going through these chapters, writing everything out so that you can see it, and, and there's a real value uh, to that. The Lord says in verse 6, Is this the fast that I have chosen? Not the wailing and the gnashing and the crying and the ashes and all the sackcloth and all that. Is that the fast I have chosen? Now, he's going to say, Here's, here's what a proper fast should include. This is the purpose of a proper fast. This is the fast I chose, he says. Or we could say this is the feast that I've chosen. To loose the bands of wickedness. Now li listen to the imagery. To loose the bands of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free that ye break every yoke. What's the image? Breaking free. Huh? Breaking free. Breaking free. Being bound. Okay? And he says the purpose of a fast is to loose the bands. If you had somebody that had been, uh, that was a slave and that they had been captured and they were wrapped in chains and, and all those kind of things, he says... We're going to go in and we're going to loose those bands, undo the heavy burdens. We're going to let the oppressed finally go free and break every yoke. And that yoke is that yoke of bondage that we carry. In a sense, that's kind of what the Savior was carrying with the cross. That was, that was a sort of yoke on his way to Golgotha. 
that he was carrying that thing. Okay? And he said the, the properness of a fast, if, if we said, let, let me take it back, three steps back. If we said to the primary kids or anybody else in the church, why do we fast? Why do we have fast Sunday? What would we say? Yeah, well, no we wouldn't. <laughs> we should. The poor, yes. We're going to fast for we're going to fast for two meals. So and then we're going to give the equivalent to the poor. This is how this is how the welfare system runs in the church. This is how we take care of fast offerings. Great, and it's true. It's very true. But we don't always say we're going to fast for the purpose of of removing ourselves from oppression, burdens, and yokes. Would we? Oh, good. Here comes here comes a fast Sunday where I get to be set free from my bondages and my yokes. No. We just know I'm going to be hungry for a while. I may take a nap. That speeds things up. And then I can eat at five and then we're back to being happy again. I try to, over the years as my kids have you know, complained, oh, it's fast Sunday. Oh, but I'm so starving. And I say, you know, I, I am too. But I said, and everybody else you see a church is too. Yeah. But look at it. I try to get them to just change the mindset. Look at it as an opportunity. I said, yep, I know you're hungry. You're going to be hungry either way, whether you have a good attitude or a bad attitude. So yeah. let's look at, we're going to do this thing. Let's look at it as an opportunity. What is this going to do for you? What is this going to, right. how are you going to grow? How, what are you going to take? Just like a feast. That's an opportunity. Look at, look at all this cool stuff I can try. Look at how I'm going to be. Yeah. Look at it as an opportunity and try to try to think of that word. All we know is that opportunity to. When you go on a diet, are you thinking about all the opportunities you're going to have of being skinnier? No. No. What are you thinking about? All the things you can't eat. We have a tendency to look at the fast part of it and go, "Here's what I don't get to have." If I'm an LDS youth, I don't get to date at 12. I don't get to go get drunk with my friends. I don't get to do all this fun stuff. And so, and so I'm going to wear the t-shirt that says, I'm Mormon, I can't. That's what I do. I, I just can't. Mormonism is a bunch of can'ts. And sometimes with fasting, we go, well, fasting is a bunch of can'ts. I don't get to eat breakfast. Okay? Well, he's saying, but this is supposed, I'm trying to have you do something that instead of it being a fast of what you can't have, it's going to be a feast of what I want to bless you with. Is it not to deal thy bread to the poor, to the hungry? Is it? Sure. Is that part of the blessings that come from fasting? Absolutely. And he's going he's gonna to say that. That thou bring the poor that are cast out of where? Thy whose house? On one sense, out of the house of Israel. But there's a very specific personal thing that says the poor cast out of your house. Meaning, take care of your family. When thou seest the naked, thou cover him. That thou hide not thyself from thy own flesh. In other words, take care of the poor and the needy. 
That's part of a proper fast. But also take care of those closest to you. So now, so he's going to cover the temporal part. We do the temporal part. Yeah. Does it say that in Isaiah? Did I did I do that wrong? <laughs> okay, so what is it? You sure you didn't do this? show up on your doorstep. That, yes, okay. Uh, on the news yesterday, they had a, a, a short about a church that passed out $25,000 worth of $100 bills to the members to go out and... and give it to somebody? Yeah. Do, go do good? Oh, and I liked well, it. Well, how did the it's news a, find out they were going sweet. to do that? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. She's just saying that there was a church that gave out $25,000 in $1 or $100 increments to go out and do good this week, Easter week. Oh, that's that's cool. But yeah, how did the news people know? Yeah. Okay. All right, let's keep going here. Now, if you do this, if you're going to keep the feast fast, here's the blood, here's the, now here comes the feasting part that comes with the fasting part. <clears throat> then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily. You're going to have more light, meaning what? More knowledge. Or inspiration, and thy health shall spring forth. In other words, I will bless you with more knowledge, and I will bless you with better health, marrow to the bones, kind of thing. Reading more and more literature about the benefits. Sure, absolutely. Okay. Then shall and I love this. this boy, I, just the sweetest verse. And thou shalt, and, and then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. Isn't that sweet? Not only will you be blessed with no, more knowledge, but you will also be blessed with better health and what? Answers to your prayers. You shall say, Where are you? And he shall say, Here I am. Well, that's, I don't know if we necessarily say to our, to our kids that are having to fast, one of, the, one of the feastings that will happen is that you'll get answers to your prayers. 
you'll get better health and more knowledge. You're going to get to feast on the Lord's goodness. That's the feasting part of the fast. Thou shalt cry and he shall say, Here I am. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and shall satisfy thee afflicted soul. The hungry meaning what? Spiritually. Don't, that's why I say there is a level where we're supposed to feed the poor and clothe them. But we're also supposed to feed their souls. They are hungry. And always, always, always the Savior was doing this. How many people in the, in, how many blind came to the Savior who simply wanted to be able to see? How many leprous came who just wanted to be free of the leprosy? How many of the halt and the lame came to him because they just wanted to walk? And he said, I will take care of your blindness and your, and your lameness, but I want to give you more. I want to heal your soul, not just your legs. I want to heal your sins, not just your leprosy. I want to make you whole. And, and the physical ailment that you have is only part of the problem. And so often when we're dealing with somebody that is, that is very, very poor in our ward or something like, all they're wanting is something to eat and to be able to make their mortgage payments. All they want to do is be able to get their car fixed. All they want to do is be... And, and when we're in that place, our, we're, our focus is really there. If our car is broken, we're, we're lasered in on wanting our car running. If there's no food in the house, we would really like to find food. And the Savior says, yes, feed them. Yes, clothe them. Yes, fix their, get their car fixed. But the goal is not to have a car that works. The car is much is a, is the first part, but the bigger part is the afflicted soul. We want to have you close to us, and after we have fed you, we want to teach you the gospel. We want to have your sins remitted, not just get rid of the physical illness part. Does that make sense? That's why he's going to great lengths to say, if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then, and then he's going to repeat it, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, or out of obscurity, and thy darkness be as noonday. You're going to have greater knowledge and greater understanding. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be, look at the imagery, and thou shalt be like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. In the midst of trying to reach out here and fast, aren't we going through our own droughts? Our own spiritual droughts. So we're, we're struggling. And he says, I will give you knowledge. I will give you health. I will answer your prayers. And I will fill your soul. I will take care of not just your physical 
blindness, but your spiritual blindness. That's the purpose of the fast. Now, let, let me tie this into DNC 59. Just hopped over to Doctrine and Covenants 59. And on this day, the Sabbath, thou shalt do none other thing, only let thy food be prepared with a singleness of heart that thy fasting may be perfect. Oh, stop. What are we doing preparing food on when we're fasting? That's a little odd, isn't it? Because we're feasting. We're feasting on the Spirit. Could we be eating and fasting? Well, no, Kevin. Fasting means we're not eating anything. Our stomachs are growling. There's people that have illnesses like um, diabetes or things like that. They have to eat, you know, in increments. They have to eat or their blood sugars go crazy. And so they can truly be fasting. Those that are diabetic. That are saying, gee, I can never fast. They can. They can. It's your heart. If the fast is a, is a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. Right. If the law of the fast is not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. If that means that, for instance, whether it's diabetes or medications or age or whatever, where you say, you know what? On the fast Sunday, I prepare my food more simply. I don't eat all of the things I would normally eat. Because I am now fasting so I can feast on the spirit. And so the spirit of the fast still lives with me. It's not about food. Yeah. So in a sense, even on Sundays that are not fast Sundays, if we keep the Sabbath day holy, we're fasting from the world. You got it. That's where we're going. That is the end of this whole thing. <laughs> that every Sabbath is to be a fast Sunday, and I'll show you why. Yes. There we go. So the fasting is hungering. And, th- and, and by the way, and look at this. Look at verse 13. He'll finish it for you. With a singleness of heart that thy fasting may be perfect. Or in other words, and he gives you another word for fasting. Joy. That fasting is about joy and that's about feasting. Yeah. Isn't that section 59? It is. It is 59. I've got it hooked into Isaiah... 58. Yeah, this is, this is DNC 59. I'll go like that. Verily, th- and then he's going to give you another word. Verily, this is fasting and prayer, or in other words, rejoicing and prayer. That is fasting. And when we're in sackcloth and ashes, or our stomach's growling, we're going, ah, this ain't joy. <laughs> yes. And see, that's why I think even there are times if, 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 if for somebody for whom uh, the, the actual fast day that we're doing is, is a really difficult kind of thing and they're preparing very simple food enough and it's different from what I would normally do, to me, I think that sounds like the law of the fast to me. It means I am doing things much more simply. I am sacrificing some things so that I can feast on the Spirit uh, and go from there. Yeah. Um, and we say perfect means complete. 
Yes. I'm going to perfect you because I'm going to fill I'm going to fill you with joy and that will be your feast. Yeah. Great point. Okay. So let's. Okay. Let's do this. Since we're about out of time. Let's just go straight to uh, Isaiah 58. If you do this, here comes the rest of the blessings of those that that uh, feast fast or fast feast. That, verse 12, And they that shall be of thee shall build up the old waste places. They shall raise up the foundation of generations. And I love that. And, and for those that can do this and be a blessing to those around them, listen to what he calls you. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths. That is just way cool. If somebody's had these kind of struggles in their life and, and, and one of your titles made it, well, I'm a seed of Abraham, well, I'm a daughter of God, I'm, and you're also the repairer of the breach. You've helped fill in the holes so that the rain is no longer coming in physically, but the rain is no longer coming in spiritually. You're the repairer of the breach. And then 13, and I think this is, I think they left a word out on this. Uh, and if thou, uh, and if thou turn not away thy foot from the Sabbath, I think somewhere in the translation they missed that. If thou turn not away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, doing the thing, things you normally like to do on the, on my, during the week, but on my Sabbath you're going to fast from your normal pleasurable things. That's why. It, it does make sense to have to be. Now turn, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, then go down 14, then shall thou delight thyself in the Yeah, but then if I turn away my foot from the Sabbath, it means I'm walking away. Unless, unless you're saying, after the Sabbath, now I go into the rest of my life. Ah, okay. Well, it could be. That would make sense. Um, doing thy pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight. The holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him not doing thine own ways. And we call that fasting. Fasting is no longer doing our stuff for a, a season, for a period of time. On the Sabbath I will fast from my normal activities and I will feast on, and I will call this a delight. Didn't you, didn't you, don't you do that? Cindy and I uh, went out to Hutchins Barbecue on Saturday. And we stood up after having ribs and brisket and said, that was a delight. <laughs> well, this is the same way. My Sabbath is a feast. It's a delight. Okay? Uh, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thy own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. On the Sabbath day I will do the Lord's things. I will feast at his table and fast from my normal activities. That's why I think every Sunday should become a fast Sunday in the sense 
that we're fasting from the world and a feast Sunday on the fact that we're feasting on, a, uh, on this day. Is that kind of cool? Uh, now, and then he's going to finish with this. Then shalt thou delight th- thyself in the Lord and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth. What are the high places? The temple. You're getting good. High places, mountains, they're all synonymous for the temple at its ultimate sense. Okay? I will ride, cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth. Now, in talking about if feasting involves not eating as much or not, or not eating at all, depending on how you're doing it, what's he going, what are you going to eat instead? Uh, uh, and feed thee with what? The heritage of Jacob, thy father. What will I? What will you feast upon? The covenants, the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as house of Israel. That will be your feast. And can you imagine the same thing with which you sit at a Thanksgiving dinner, for instance, and you're gobbling down food if you were sitting at a table filled with the covenants and promises and blessings of the Lord and gratitude and tender mercies and you're gorging yourself on all of this because you're at this feast of fat things, the spiritual things and you're fasting from all of the worldly garbage that's out there and you're feasting on what's here. Now, any of you be able to give a good talk in sacrament meeting on the on fast Sunday about fast about fasting? You got to. This is the best. This is the best layout for giving a talk about fasting of anywhere in the scriptures I know of. The imagery is beautiful and it's powerful, and it moves us from a place of worrying about fasting to worrying about to enjoying the feast. That's why I like to call it a fast feast or a feast fast. Okay. That's plenty. Any final comments before we kind of... You guys have been swimming today. You're doing awesome. Final comments. Yeah. All those, all those spiritual blessings that come to us, and all we're doing is just fasting from worldliness. Okay, awesome stuff. Uh, I, I pray that as you uh, as you go into uh, next weekend and we feast, we're going to fast in a sense, doing normal things on some Saturday and Sunday that we might normally do, but we're going to feast at the feet of prophets and church leaders and be fed. And now we're feeding. We're being fed on the the. The promises made to Jacob.
and I, I just think that's wonderful. So I pray you have a great weekend. Take some notes, because obviously we're going to take a few minutes at the beginning of class next week to talk about the stuff that jumped out at you, what you heard, and, and things that you were taught by. Um, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.